I love the way the Lord just works. <laughs> he, uh, he gave me a picture of a, a path. It's nothing but a dirt and gravel path with a lot of potholes. And, and we're the tire riding along. And if that, if you're being bounced around too much, you don't have that shock system. And the board is that that relief through the shock system. I'm sorry, he works with me through mechanical things. <laughs> so it's just amazing how he he gives us that that uh, smooth ride a lot of times, even though we're going to go over those potholes and through those dips and all and it, and it jars us sometimes he still is going to give that that smooth ride because he is our lord he will provide a way across that all the time shock absorber yes So if you got a Bible, you're going to have to use them. Um, had a hard time, had a hard time giving a uh, title to this message. And, you know, I played around with uh, tragically hopeful, uh, hope and tragedy, or or how to behave during tragic times. All right. So. Mr. Cole always has a request in for an uplifting message. I hope this is that. Um, Genesis chapter 2. So, uh, ground that I wind up finding myself on quite frequently is, uh, is complexity. No kidding. So, <laughs> um, I, 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 tend, I tend to get detail focused, uh, and, and, then, and then just sheer complexity is, uh, entertaining is the wrong word, let's just say I'm wired a certain way and I happen to see complexity more often than I see, you know, the big picture. Simplicity? And simplicity, yeah. What's yeah. time? Right? <laughs> so in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and verse 16, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. I'm in the wrong place. Am I in the right place? Yeah, no. no, that's no, not, not 16. There is no 16. Um, yes, there is. There is a and sequence. The Lord, Lord God commanded the man to Yeah, 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 I'm there. So my problem is my brain's in the King James and my, my face is in a real small print ESV. So bear, so bear with me here. The Lord, man, the Lord man commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will what? Surely die. Surely die. So... Aside from some obvious factors, how closely do you resemble? How closely do you think you resemble the original design of man physically? 
probably pretty close. Probably pretty close. One, one tenth yeah. of the right. Yeah. So one of the functions of growth, one of the functions of development, is engineered cell death. Engineered cell death. Your cells, your cells die off and get replaced as you grow. Oh, okay. Okay. So if we if we determine to put ourselves in a theological foxhole that says anything we define as death is the result of sin and didn't exist before sin, we've got a factual problem with God's own creation and how He formed us. Now, here we go on a little side trip. There's an old philosophical problem about somebody's ships, an old Greek guy, I can't remember his name, but it goes something like this, you know. It's his ship, but then as he gets it repaired, by the time the last board's there, is it the same ship? Or is it a different ship? And it's a question of identity. And I think today with, with TikToks and Instagrams and, and channel clickers, we go, that's a stupid question. No, it's a, identity is a, is a huge question. And so when you didn't have all these distractions of TV, you'd come up with these boat examples of saying, okay... So what is resurrection? What is identity? Who are you? Adam and Eve were made and they were made to have children. These children were meant to grow. We know that growth process. We know cell division. We know engineered cell death. The difference is the continuation. So um, as we all age, our cells get exhausted. <laughs> And, and so, at some point in time, cell death overtakes cell reproduction, and, and we age. And that is a result of the fall. That's what we call entropy, right? The increase of chaos. Okay? That's what Are we uplifted yet? No. Are we at? Absolutely. Yet. Let's okay. keep going. I haven't heard here. you yet. <laughs> the day that you eat of that one tree... You, what? Surely die. Surely die. Did they eat? Yes. Yes. They ate. They ate. Told, he shouldn't have told them about the tree at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't look at that tree. <laughs> what about that tree? Don't mind that tree. Don't even touch it. Um, that was a little skit. You probably didn't get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he just said so, to eat, not to eat it. He didn't say not to touch it. So... Now, God puts them out of the garden. Why does He put them out of the garden? So they, so they, couldn't, so they couldn't live forever. So they couldn't yeah. live forever. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Genesis 3.22 Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, plural, and a flaming sword, singular, figure that out, and turn out every, every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that, I, like, I like taking the literal view on this, not that there's not symbology here, there is, but from a real practical literal standpoint, God has fallen creatures near something that will grant them Im immortality. Yes. 
Say that again. I'm sorry. God has fallen creatures who have access to a okay. physical thing that will grant them immortality. Physical immortality. Well, that sounds way pie in the sky. Well, I guess it kind of is. Um, this is what happens when you don't write notes, or you start teaching something different than you wrote notes down on. And uh, in Revelation 22, this is during the new heavens and the new earth, right? The river of life, right? Genesis 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Okay? So all of a sudden we're into the complexity because, you know, in heaven there's no time, in eternity, it's just God's light that's shining. No sun, no moon. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that the glory of God will outshine the sun and outshine the moon. But God made a covenant with the sun and moon as signs for His eternal covenant with David. And He says that in that time and in that age, there will be a tree of life that gives twelve manner of fruit each what? Month. What calls a month? The moon. the moon calls a month. Oh, I got a calendar and a moon now in the eternal heaven. Yes, you do. But you also have a tree of life um, in a resurrected place. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What does that mean? I, you know, just taking it on its face, it means that those leaves have healing properties. They have what? Have healing properties. Oh, yeah, but the healing of the nations, right? Yeah, healing of the ethnos, the people. Everybody. Okay. Everybody gets healed. Okay. It's a tree of life. All right. Okay. Man fell. God said, you eat it, you will die. And we know he died. We understand that his death was a spiritual death. Now, when I was younger, I misunderstood what death was. So... Um, I understood as a younger man that I was taught that death was extinction. That's what death was. So that when man died, his spirit was extinguished. It no longer existed. He was, they used the same theological terms, but the, the construct was different. His spirit was non-existent now. It was, he was just a soul and body creature until God gave him spirit back. There's a problem with that yeah. because yeah. because death defined for a body is when the spirit leaves the body. Right. For as a body without the spirit is what? Dead. 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 So faith without what? Works, Works is dead. Right. So in that verse you have a dead work and, and you have a dead body. What you don't have is a dead spirit. <laughs> so death is not defined as non-existence. Death is defined as separation put out, put away from, away from God. So they were in spirit away from God. God had to cover them physically. What had been a spiritual relationship and a perfect environment that was created to maintain their material form forever was now broken with the curse of thorns and thistles. And they were no longer able to approach the tree of life. Um, so, Betty, 
<laughs> Why didn't you come in and turn off my phone? She's <laughs> done. Anybody else want to call in? That's, that's redirecting there. Rufus. Why are you throwing me under the bus? Rufus, chapter three. We, we pause for this announcement. The meeting online might stop, and I may have to start another one. But um, if anyone can keep track of how long I've been talking. Revelation, I mean, Romans chapter 3, um, verse 20. For by the works of the law shall no human being be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, hope in tragic times or tragic hope or want to call this thing. So, we, we just celebrated the life of a faithful believer who went home to her Lord at the age of 15 years and some odd months. Basically 15 and a half years old. And, um, and, and that is tragic. Yeah. Yeah. For the parents, for the parents at least. Yeah, for the parents, uh, yeah, for the parents, for the siblings. And, and it, it upends our, our endowed sense of what life should be. Our endowed sense of right. And, and, and when I say endowed, is, is like um, we feel privileged to have this right. Uh, our children should outlive us. Dying young shouldn't happen. And by and large, because we're, 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 we're creatures of pattern, things should just go well. When things go wrong is when we have questions. You may be the odd duck. You may be the... I, I, um, I, was, raised by, I was raised by a woman who, got, who was so used to tragedy that when things went well, she got really, really, really Boy, nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't laugh. She was, she was, God bless Gloria Hart, but she, she excelled in trauma because she was so intimate with it. And um, so that, I mean, life's boulder could plow into that woman and she would just cut it in half and walk through it. But man, when the water settled, but most people aren't like that. At least most people I know aren't like that. Most people I know wake up and they're happy that they have a job. Um, you know, uh, Eddie was asking about somebody whether their job was secure or not, and I said, well, as secure as any job can be. You know, I, I believed in secure jobs until I became an employer. And then I realized how tenuous all jobs were. And businesses. Okay? So, all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God, the, the day you eat of it, that day you shall surely die. And, and I, I can think of, I, I, I cannot personally think of any greater tragedy for a parent than to see their child die. And I praise God it hasn't happened, but I've come close with my two eldest. I've, I've been at their quote-unquote deathbed and seen them come through. And 
By the grace of God. By the grace of God. But here's the thing is, is that we, we have this, um, uh, I, I said endowment, privilege, uh, entitlement. We're entitled. We are born with the entitlement that when we are kids, we won't be orphaned. Amen. <laughs> Newsflash. Mm -hmm. we're, in, we're entitled with the belief that when we're married, we won't be widowed or, or widowers. And, and when we have children, we have children in the entitled belief that they'll be happy, healthy, well, and outlive us. And then, and we believe the Bible. And we can entirely forget the story of the first two children. That our parents who fell, for whom God killed one of His creatures to cover them in skins to say, Redemption's coming. Their first two boys got into a conflict. One wicked, one righteous. And in the physical, it wasn't the righteous who overcame. The entire world is upended. Why do good people suffer bad things? How, how come he deserved that? How is it that Cain's punishment becomes the establishment of cities, the development of metallurgy and music, and the distribution of cattle? The curse of God winds up to be the blessing of civilization through Cain. <laughs> and we stand back with little box and cookie cutters of theology that figure out the eternal, immortal, invisible God. And so, some of my meditation this week is, what kind of a viewfinder, paradigm, worldview, helps us get through life? And in, in Christendom, there are a multiplicity of those that, that people latch on to. So the two extremes, I'll, I'll lay out two extremes, and I know there's more extremes, and there are more views to get to the Christian life that I'm going to lay out. But on, on one extreme, it's, it's faith. If, if you just have faith, so faith becomes the viewfinder through everything. It is the path through any adversity. It is, it is the understanding of anything that goes awry. Why did they die? Well, because they didn't have faith. Why, why are they poor? Well, because they're either lazy or didn't have faith, or they worked well and didn't have faith. Um, whatever calamity comes, it's because whatever promise answered that calamity, the individual who suffered the calamity didn't believe the promise enough to avoid it. I'm saying it's extreme. Okay? On the other extreme is, uh, is a, a misapprehension of the sovereignty of God to the exclusion of an enemy to your soul. Mm -hmm. So that any calamity is laid at God's feet for my good and, and more than likely because of something I did. That part I won't argue with much. <laughs> but if the tragedy happens, it was because, well, that was God's plan. God did it. God gave me, named the calamity, the disease. God imparted this to me to teach me a lesson, to make me more humble, to, um, because as the saying goes, 
God is sovereign. He, he is either in control of all or not in control at all. Which again is a very reductionist, narrow view of the complexity of life. See, there we are. And of God. And of God. So, so you have these, these, these two huge extremes. Well, let's deal with the faith side first. 1 Corinthians thir 13. I heard something, something recently. Um, he was saying that the Chinese word for crisis is made up of two characters. Opportunity and trauma. So within every crisis, there's opportunity Indeed. for something good to come. There's also trauma, and you have to choose which side. That's awesome. That's awesome. First Corinthians 13, <clears throat> verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So I'll pause there. I was talking about orphans earlier. So after you know, after being orphaned. I, I encountered what is commonly called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so for the first time, uh, I, I learned of, of experiencing God and the power of God. <coughs> and as a young believer, 14 years old, and knowing my father's heart for God, I thought if he'd just known God could heal him, he wouldn't have died of emphysema, which is a huge transition from if he had known that Christ could heal him, he wouldn't have died of emphysema. That's a big flip from if he hadn't smoked himself to death, he'd still be around. Mm -hmm. Right? Real life views, okay? We're talking about a little, little real life. Are you uplifted yet? Yeah, I just, I'd <laughs> like to point out a, a, a little tip that I learned a long time ago. In every good lie, there's an element of truth. Uh huh. So it's important when you hear something like that. Go ahead and grab a hold of the truth and resonate with it. Smoking probably isn't something that's going to be good for you. You very well might die of emphysema like my great-grandfather did. Right. But um, but that doesn't mean the rest of it needs to be that, Yeah, that doesn't mean God couldn't have healed him. Yeah. Right? So where I was going with this is that my, my viewfinder at that time became the power of God. Why, if you just experience the power of God and fill in the manifestation blank... The power of God in speaking in tongues, or the power of God in a, in a word of prophecy, or the power of God in a gift of healing, all doubts fly away, all problems go away in the face of that power. Well, not denigrating the power of God and experiencing God, but if you read your Bible, you find men of God who died. <laughs> I mean, just to put it bluntly. And then you find men of God who are repenting, going, I almost died. So, so, at that verse, love never ends. Love never ends. But prophecies do. Tongues do. Knowledge does. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. For now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. These three. But if I'm going to get a viewfinder as to what's going on in the world and be a grown-up, the main lens I have to have is not hope and it's not faith. 
They're important. They're like maybe my nose pads and my rims. But the lenses have to be what? Love. Love. Has to be love. Has to be love. And so in any tragedy where we question what's going on, God, where are you in this? Love the way God defines it, not the way we define it. Thank you. <laughs> not our definition of love. You love me when I get everything I want. But your definition of love, you take care of me in the way that you love. In other words, in a, in a, and not in a self-interested way, in a truly altruistic way, I will take care of you and make you into the likeness of my Son. In the middle of all this complexity and of all these moving pieces, forget for, for, forget particle physics for a minute, as if you could. <laughs> forget, forget cellular biology for a minute. Or, or, or the, 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 the biosphere in total, and the weather patterns, and the systems, and, and, and the tectonic plates, and everything else that goes on a broken planet subject to decay, because God said, I'll make it subject to decay, because the whole creation is going to cry out for the day that you actually shine like I made you to shine to set this place in order. This whole place is groaning and decaying, waiting for your revealing as the redeemed sons of God. Forget all that complexity for a minute. Just think for a minute. What's our population up to now? 4.5? 5 billion? A bunch. Almost eight, yeah, almost eight now. Just think about the complexity of eight billion independent beings with free will in a broken planet. And I'll tell you, there's another truism we talk about in different language about crap happens. It happens. Interject? <laughs> huh? Interject? Yes, sir. Uh, I went to go look at a dining table set this week. And I wound up in a, about a two-hour conversation with a man who is probably the most God-hating, angry man I have ever oh, met in my life. And I had to peel back the onion on him, and it took a while, but what I found out was he, he refers to his natural father as the preacher. That's all he will call him, is the preacher. Mm -hmm. The preacher beat him. Mm -hmm. And he was very um, hostile toward... Um, God, but what you just said about what was the what was the last thing you just said? It plucked my string. What was the last thing you just said? Now you want me to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody remember the last thing he said? Seven billion with their own. Seven billion with their own, 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 own right to choose. Right, right, right. right. And so, I, and so, it, it, the, the came to mind to say to him. I said, look, okay, let's do this. You're God. Because his 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 fuss was this. It comes down to the classic atheist argument: If God is good, then why, mm -hmm. right? And I said, okay. And and I said, well, we have free will. And I said, ah, don't give me that. Blah blah blah. Well, I said, okay, you're God. You have the power right now to change the world. Because where does evil come from? It comes from evil deeds, from evil men, mm -hmm. right? So you have the power to change it right now. All you got to do is one thing. You have to override, take away, usurp the free will of every evil-doing person in the world. Are you ready to do it? Do you want to do it? And even this angry, hostile man, he didn't want to sign up for that. Mm. 
And it, and it makes the point. It, I think it stops that argument in its tracks, which is, God is not going to override our will to stop evil. It's as simple as that. Anyway, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, since you're working, I'm going to add another two cents. Uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, 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 Jesus. It is arguably the most significant thing, other than Jesus dying on the cross, that he said, it is expedient for you if I go. Why? Because if I do, I will send you. I will send the Holy Spirit, right? And then Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And um, I just want to share this one little thing that Spurgeon, I, I was listening to a Spurgeon sermon this week, and Spurgeon is just so emotionally intelligent. He says, he says there is something very touching about this admonition, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It does not say, do not make him angry. A more delicate and tender term is used, do not grieve him. <coughs> the hardest heart is the one that is so hard, it is not moved one bit when it knows it has caused grief. Grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. It is anger, but all the bitterness is taken from it. Love sweetens the anger and turns it against the offense. And then I love this, what he says. He says, he says there is anger in, in, in the heart, but... The anger does not sin, talking of God, for he, he is angry against the sin. He says, but there is love to neutralize and modify the anger toward me. Instead of wishing me harm for the punishment of my sin, he looks at my sin itself as harmful to me. There's a heavenly mix more precious than all the ointments of the merchants. There may be bitterness of myrrh, but there's all the sweetness of frankincense in the sweet term to when we talk about the love of God, it, I think it's far easier to convince people that God has power than God has love. Because when I look at the world around me, I'm not convinced that God has love. That is a, a work of, of, of grace, a, a work of grace. And, and, and I think that when I understand that God is grieved more than he is angry because his love tempers his anger, then I begin to respond to him differently than I've done. Good. That comes back to the same thing we were saying earlier, which is we were saying is God's definition of love, not ours. Right. Right. Also exactly. God's definition of God. Yeah. We have this idea of what God is, and it's broken. Yep. It's true. All right. There we are. I thought you get one more before it's all said and done. So we were in First Corinthians thirteen. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, with the grace that uses use love. And for those online, you missed Abel's comment, but basically I was talking about the complexity of the, of the world itself, but beyond that, just uh, the fact of the billions of people on the planet that have free will, and, and, and all the um, complex interactions that can cause. Okay? So... Romans chapter 6, in verse 23, I'm going there even though we can quote it, but Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What kind of life? Eternal. Eternal, eternal life. When? Right now. Right now. <laughs> right Right now. So, in view of this entitlement of 
and, I, and I'm using the word entitlement intentionally, but, but we come by it honestly. Why would you expect... Um, why wouldn't you expect for your children, or why wouldn't you hope for your children to outlive you? That's a better way to say it. You know, if we'd lived but just 200 years ago, we might have waited several months to name our babies just to see if they lived past that first few months, right? So, you know, it, it, we live in a particular place, in a particular culture, in a particular time, and, um, and so we kind of, we kind of, we, we can't help but frame our opinions and our outlooks from that viewpoint. I mean, we, we are who we are. Yeah. That means that it requires intentionality on us to get some perspective. And so not only am I limited in my perspective in the fact that I'm, you know, I'm localized. I'm in one place at one time, one time. But I'm also contextualized. I live in a particular era. And so if, I, if, if I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've never seen America so divisive. <laughs> You've never seen America any other time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so your life. <laughs> maybe you haven't. This is, the most, this is the most divisive America. This is the most polarized America's ever been. Okay, you've apparently not read history. Right. You've not read, were you talking about the Civil War? No, I'm talking about the founding. <laughs> I'm talking about the Revolutionary War, which was a British Civil War. <laughs> you know, um, let alone, the, so, just as an example, we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're contextualized to, so, to get some perspective of what God will do, and what God could do, an, another place where we box God in, is, well, that was the Old Testament. <laughs> that was the Old Testament. And, and I have a particular way of viewing God, which I have been told and trained is the view of God from a New Testament revelation. So I must understand anything I am uncomfortable with in the Old Testament as either God couching his language in a way that they would understand, but not really the way he behaved. In other words, well, God didn't really slay them. He just allowed them to live, to, to die. You know? Okay. Maybe you guys haven't tripped across this, but then again, maybe most of you have never been in a cult. Um, <laughs> that was kind of flippantly funny, but... So, but we, we do this, is, is, is that, I say we, okay, I do this, you get into this, in this place where you might begin to believe that you could define God's actions. And trust me, He will escape the behavior you have prescribed for Him. He will go beyond. That's His promise. I can do exceedingly abundantly of all you can ask or think. <laughs> of course, we generally tend to ask and think in a positive direction as regards to ourselves, but I just, you know, I encourage you and, and, and challenge all of us to think of that in the opposite direction as well, because He can do way more than we ever give Him credit for. Yeah, I'm, definitely, I'm guilty of boxing him in, you know, a few years ago, when I, and I still believe in this. I was, I was very hip on the holy nature of God. And I was very focused on holy on John 17 because I believed that 
if we really got a revelation of the holy nature of God, we could participate in it in a in a maybe a higher way that Jesus prayed. You know, he he prayed that we would have fellowship with with God and that we would participate in. It. But 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 it didn't work out for me because I really tried to yield myself to that sort of holy nature of God and, and what He wound up showing me. I I, I I do believe, and I hope this doesn't sound crass, but he, it was like he said to me, "But you're not Jesus." <laughs> and I, and yeah. what the the, revel, the flip side of that revelation is, you you as you said at the beginning, you. You are a creature that does live in a sinful world, but I love you still. Yeah. And and you're not gonna be Jesus in this life. I want you to be like him. Yeah. But you're not gonna ascend to that level of holiness and communion with me because you're not him. And it really gave me peace. And it was it was like I was okay that I am what I am because he loves me anyway. Praise mm -hmm. God for that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we need to be comfortable in our own skin. There you go. Thank you. That's good. So in narrative fashion, Cain and Abel, brothers. Anybody, anybody ever lived through sibling rivalry? <laughs> I'm so, I'm so, I am so thankful that my children um, did not grow up with the level of violence I did. And my level of violence probably wasn't that high, but it was close enough to be deadly. And, and so, you know, the, I can identify with Cain, Clobberless bro. I mean, <laughs> in my fallen state. It's easier to identify with Abel, right? You know, I'm the righteous suffering one. Yeah, but the reality is, no, I was the angry murderous one. So... From our viewpoint of this is a tragic thing, it is tragic, right? It's tragic. And, and so then how, how does that square with our view of a righteous God and here's a righteous man? And it's because God's redemption doesn't, His, un, His unrolling and revealing of redemption doesn't stop when we stop breathing. That's not the end of the story. He's not done. Amen. So, amen. Praise God. Praise God. So Jesus, Jesus comes back to it in, in Luke 11, verse 46. When He's done, He'll let you know. Hmm? Yeah. It, he'll let us all know. <laughs> anybody you think of going into the law profession? No, yeah. uh, verse 46, He said, Woe unto you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard, hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your father, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. See, from the very start, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Hallelujah! <laughs> Therefore I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom you will kill. Uh -huh. Huh? Hebrews 11. Verse 
Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He still speaks. God's not done. God's not done with his testimony. Revelation 6. And when he opened the, uh, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Okay, so just put yourself in this place of, of need, tragedy, pressure. God, you've got to do something about this. God, I, I mean, you've got to help me in this. So you're here on earth and, and suffering, and your cry to God is, I, I want justice, and we're suffering. What are you going to do about it? A common approach in preaching, and a common approach even in um, a, a celebration of life or a funeral service, which is for the living, right? I mean, we do these things to comfort our hearts and encourage ourselves in God. So, I mean, I think they're a good thing. But a common approach is to say, in heaven, none of this toil exists. In heaven, none of this unsurety exists. In heaven, all answers are yes. There are no tears in heaven. I opened the fifth seal, and I saw unto the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, and they cried with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, Sovereign, holy and true, holy, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, Hebrews tells us the blood of Jesus speaks a better thing than the blood of Abel. And the blood of Abel cried from the ground against Cain. And Abel's soul under that altar has been crying to God for justice for at least five millennia. Five thousand years of prayer for justice. How long? There's no... You're just in eternity. I'm sorry. You don't get to ask the question, how long, if you're not aware of time. And if you're not aware of time, you are a creature made inside it, and you've lost a portion of your identity, or the breadth of your inheritance, which is what? Unlimited time. <laughs> Eternity. Continuity of identity requires an understanding of your history. How do you sing the song of the redeemed if you don't know you've been redeemed? Absolutely. How long, O Lord? Holy and true, before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, then they each were given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer. That's, that's our God. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Just not right now. We'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not right now. When you read that verse, do you think about on avenging on evildoers? Because my mind just took a 90 degree turn and was thinking about avenging against demons and principalities. Um, I think it's probably a, a both and. Yeah. yeah, it's a both and. 
Because judgment, for judgment to be just, the actors must be judged. They can be acquitted if they receive the price paid. But these, these, are, these are like, these are cosmic stakes. <laughs> like, this is like huge. Yeah, and one thing, one thing about this is, he's God and we're not. Amen. Amen. He's God and we're not. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I'm interceding for justice for, for us having been killed unrighteously. And God's answer is, you're going to have to wait until more die. I have one response for that. Are you ready for it? There's, this is the only response for it. There is no word for it. As Eddie said, He's God and we're not. He's sovereign and we're not. He's almighty and we're not. And that and is an answer. And He's a good God. So he's a good God. A, he is love. Picture, it'll work out. I'll hustle it up to get the encouraging part. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because... They are no more. Think of the implications of this. And think about your place in prayer and God's redemption. This is not a dissuasion against prayer. It's just a call to perspective. Think of the decision. You're, uh, we were talking about winning the lottery. Okay? So, bing! You're a multi-millionaire. Someone comes, kidnaps your son. You're going to send a rescue team in. You send a rescue team in to get your child out of, out of this village where he's being held, except for the regime that rules in this village. If you get in there and get out, you know unequivocally the village is going to be decimated. Everybody's going to die. Are you so callous as to save your only son and watch a whole village die? That's what we call a moral dilemma. <laughs> what I like to call the collateral damage of spiritual warfare. God sent Joseph a dream. He got out of town. How come none of the other parents are dreaming? Why all these two-year-old and younger is getting slaughtered because he had the temerity of having his Messiah born as the king of Judah. Couldn't he have warned them? Maybe he did. Well, yeah, Jeremiah prophesied about it. How many centuries, how many centuries before the event that God has spoken through one of his men of God the fact that innocent babies would die. 
Does that square with your understanding? See, what God can do, what God will do for redemption goes beyond our scruples, as we perceive them anyway. What He has done. What He has done. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Thus says the Lord, oh, verse 15, Thus says the Lord, starts the same way as 16, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Grief is real. And, and in the depths of grief, comfort's hard to be had sometimes. The pain is direct. Verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. You see, if God were just a despotic ruler trying to save his prince and then just signed off on the slaughter of an entire village for self-interest, then you would almost rightly call him crass and self-interested and evil. But if God is the one who is able to save his son to save the world, and even though the enemy comes and kills all the innocents, he's going to resurrect them and give them that land as an inheritance and a reward to their mothers. You can't win against a God like that. <laughs> That requires perspective. You can't stop at the slaughter. And you can't stop at the tragedy. You have to go all the way to the resurrection, the reward, the hope, and the promise. Right? God is able. God is able. First Kings. First Kings 14. Oh, I'm stuck in this button. There it is. Verse 1. At that time... Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, now Jeroboam is the first king of Israel, okay? Jeroboam is the one that God rent the kingdom away from Rehoboam, gave it to Jeroboam because Solomon had too many wives and too many temples and too many sacrifices. Anyhow, so Jeroboam says, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said to me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the child. So, you know, we're keep, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a palace secret, right? Crown prince is sick. We're going to send mom out there in disguise, go talk to the man of God. Everything's going to be okay. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. And when she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came to the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? Isn't prophecy great? Isn't a word of knowledge great? Isn't a relationship with God great? Yes. If you pay attention to the rhythms of life, your Father will prepare you for tragedies that are coming. 
and blessings. Mm-hmm. But you just walk in rhythm. And sometimes I think tragedies hit when you're blind because uh, I, I just, I just, you know, it, it. I'm glad I made the decisions I did with regard to going through cancer treatment before I went through treatment. Because after having gone through treatment and survived, I would make an entirely different set of decisions today. <laughs> because I could believe I was more courageous than I actually was. And now I know I'm a bit more of a coward than I want to be. Okay? So sometimes maybe you just don't know because he knows, well, you know, you'll ride through this better once you hit the falls. Okay, anyhow. Uh... Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. I am charged with unbearable news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made your leader over my, my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. Isn't this an interesting word? Yeah. David's dead. This is is the Lord's testament through His prophet. David always did what was right in my eyes. Is God ignorant about Bathsheba? No. Oh, by the way, um, whose adulterous progeny died? I shall go to him, but he won't come to me. Right? Right? What about the census? And yet, God's record, see, David's prayer, he forgot my iniquity. He always did that was right. He was a man of my own heart. was right before God. That's right. Even when he was sending, you know, he got right again. He got right with God again. It wasn't that, yeah, exactly. That's the point. That's the point. He got right with God again. But you have done evil above all that were before you and have gone and made yourself other gods and and metal images provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Verse 10, Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burn up dung until it is all gone. Those are strong words, by the way. I mean, you know, we... God is not obscene, but He uses language that, if you're very religious, might seem crass. I'm going to burn you like a pile of dung. I don't say it. Don't say it, because I think that is a crass word. But to you it's not, because you use it. But in general, general polite, in general polite company, we don't toss it around. Anyhow. Maybe I'm not in polite company. <laughs> Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Now, this is his, this is his pronouncement on the house of Jeroboam. This is a mama who's been sent by her husband to inquire the man of God about her sick child. Would you like to be in this altar call? Um, <laughs> you know, can you pray for my kid? This is the word of God. Arise, therefore, go to your house, and when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Mm. Well, that's harsh. But it's the truth. Right, it is the truth. But look, look, look at the look at the end of this thing. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. 
For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord. Huh? Huh? He's a good kid. He's a good kid. So him, he gets to die and be buried. When you go home, when your feet hit the city, your child is dead. Because in him I found something pleasing. But everyone else, not even buried, eaten by dogs, eaten by birds. Your son, I'll take. Now, I used to recoil at the thought of a minister trying to comfort hearts, saying, well, the Lord took him home, and, and you, just, you just told that parent, you just told that grandparent that God killed their child, and they're supposed to be happy about it. Okay. No, you aren't either. No, you're not. <laughs> so you're not. You're not. The reality is, is that God has them. And there's hope in that. The problem was my perspective. And how I was hearing the truth spoken. But this is a startling word. If 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 your entire viewfinder, and I don't mean to pick on faith because faith is important, but it's an easy one to grab. Word of faith, whatever the case may be. If your entire viewfinder is, if we got the word and we believe they are going to absolutely unequivocally be healed, and that's just the way it's going to be, there's gotta be room to have faith and healing and acceptance of death because we're a broken place. Without our without our entire faith structure falling apart. Because it's a bit more complex. Okay? It's a bit more complex. Isaiah 57. <clears throat> We left out the part where the poor woman knows as soon as she gets there, her son's going to die and she's never going to see him again alive because she, he's going to die before she, she sees him. She even gets back. Yeah. That's horrible. It's hard. Like she doesn't even want to go home. Yeah. That's terrible. So I wandered in the desert for 40 years and he yeah, ran so for 20. Right? Right. Right. He's got walking around disobeying God. You know, so, yeah. 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 Think my word that way. Send the message, come out of the town so yeah. I can yeah. hug you. Son, I can't go see you. Come on. <laughs> Why, Mom? No, no, no. You don't understand. Bring him out of the town. <laughs> Isaiah 57, verse 1. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. All right. I, I am not advocating dying young, Eddie. Don't you do it. <laughs> the older you get, the, 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 the greater the patriarch I pick, you know? So like, you pass, you, you get to like 120 on, on, on Jacob, I'll, I'll be looking at Abraham. <laughs> no one takes it to heart. So, look, we may or may not know, but, but we, don't, we, we, we know we don't know at all, right? And, and so, comfort is in the fact that the Father knows and that Jesus has us 
And we trust, we can trust him. And we can trust him in that. We can trust him in his word. John 11. A couple more verses, and I think we're done. In verse 20, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, her, her, Christ, her Christology isn't incorrect. It's just limited. Jesus healed all who came to Him. Is that not true? But it's limited. Because there were people left in the land that weren't healed that Jesus walked by. You know the guy at the temple gate beautiful? So, while it may be true from a scriptural narrative perspective to say that Jesus healed all that came to Him, it's not robust in that He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so, Martha's Christology, her understanding of Messiah, her understanding, her personal relationship with Jesus, her experience of God in the flesh informed her that had He only been present Lazarus would not have succumbed to his sickness and died. Was Jesus aware Lazarus was sick? Yes. Yes. And what did he do? What did he will himself to do? Waited. Waited. Because he wanted to be four days. Did he say he waited three days? I just looked for threes. Yeah, I just looked for threes. Yeah, I found another one the other day. Maybe I saw it before, but I saw it again. Solomon and the two babies is another resurrection one. <clears throat> both, both sons of, of prostitutes. Rahab is, is a, a prostitute in the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ. You got a live baby and a dead baby, and you got three days in the narrative. Go figure. Okay. Her understanding said if Jesus is here, Lazarus doesn't die. But God had a wider range and a wider view and a wider testimony, and Jesus waited. And we get frustrated with the wait. And we get frustrated with the wait, well, because we're suffering, because we want to answer, because of whatever. I think it's a good dose to understand that, yeah, but not my will be done, but yours. I can't, even, I can't even twist your arm to perform according to your will that I understand, as I understand it. I'm not saying you can't know the truth, you can't know His will. I'm just saying that there are times, I think, that we try to twist God's arm for Him to behave in accordance to our understanding of His will and not a perspective of His will entire, and that our life is a continual education of a broadening view of the eternal, immortal, invisible God. <laughs> it's what makes it enchanting. It's what makes it wondrous. He truly is bigger than us. Way bigger. And so, but Jesus is a man, He loves Lazarus, He loves Martha, He loves Mary. 
And even knowing, I can't help but think, if I, if I identify with Christ, I have to bring myself into the picture. And I know how I would react. Is I would be like, yeah, sorry about that. I didn't let you down, but sorry you think I did. <laughs> I don't know if I'm communicating that correctly, but you know, that's, that's kind of like a, if you don't, you know, uh, if you don't been here. But he's Jesus, and I'm not. And, uh, but even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. What a, what a profession. Martha gets, you know, we always ping on Martha, the Martha Mary thing, and, and we forget their roles are reversed in this narrative, you know. That Martha's really staunch in faith, and Mary's like, where you been? And uh, so Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So even in her, in her profession of faith and in her understanding of end times, you know, that, that her theology is correct to the point of not really hearing what Christ is saying. The full picture of the revelation of what Jesus is trying to impart to her in a time of mourning and tragedy. He's dead and buried. It's devastating. My mother used to tell this story that she buried two husbands from the same mother and, and I, I think it was after my uncle's death. I think it was after my uncle's death. And, and she and my grandma Jane were walking and, and she, she said, you know, I've lost a husband and you've lost a son. And, and I, don't know, I don't know which is worse. And my grandmother said, I've, I've lost both and neither is easy. You know? Death hurts. That's for sure. Death has a sting. Right? And, and, and so... Even right, even with this, okay, whatever you, what, what, but even in saying it, I think in her reaction, she's not really, she's saying the words, but she's not looking at the end implication of what she's just said. God will give you whatever you ask, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you, you're not going to ask that because, you know, that's not, he's dead, he's in there. Been in there four days. Your brother will rise again. She says, I know that you'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm. Thank you, Lord. It ain't in the, it is not in the beyond. I'm it. Thank you, Lord. I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, it's me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anybody who believes in me will never die. He is looking at a woman in the eye who's buried her brother, and he's been in the ground for four days, and he's staring straight at her saying, I've got him. He's not dead. Want me to prove it to you? <laughs> He does. Move the rock. He does. Thank you, Lord. Lazarus, come out. With a loud voice. Yeah. He didn't say it quiet in case he didn't come out. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's just let's forget that God will give me everything I ask. Let's forget about the resurrection of the just at the end of time. Do you believe that if you believe in me, you won't die? Martha. Yes, Lord. I believe you are Messiah. The Son of God who is coming into the world. The day is going to come where the trumpet will sound for us. There's a lot of trumpets, so don't get confused. I put every event in the end times to one trumpet. There's a lot of trumpets. A whole blast of them. But there's a trumpet for us. We are not called a resurrection. We are called a snatching away. A gathering up. If we're still here on this earth. And God will bring the family from heaven and the family from earth together in Him. And in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, the corruptible, those of us who are alive and dying, immortal, will put on immortality and the corruptible, those who are dead and decaying, will put on incorruptibility. But even right now, you're seated at the right hand of God. Even right now, your life is in His hand and no, no, no power, no angel, no man can take you out of it. <clears throat> he bought you. You said yes. He purchased you with His own blood. And He gets to keep you forever. And because He is life, you will never die. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.